It's Thursday, June 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. No one joining me in studio today, but on the line, all the way from the Great White North in Canada, Mr. Jim Gillies, who you may know from Motley Fool Options, Motley Fool Special Ops, and now Motley Fool Pro Canada. How are you, my friend? I am good. Um, uh, uh, not very great white up here today. It's uh, <laughs> very nice, actually. I just always picture Canada as having snow. Not today. <laughs> Probably gonna probably gonna touch close to eighty degrees Fahrenheit for you uh, for you American types today where I am. So it's beautiful beautiful near summer day. Wow, kind of a shame I'm in my office. It's gonna be warmer where you are than where I am. That's, it that's is indeed. that just doesn't seem right. Uh, all right, there's a lot going on out there in the investing world. Certainly in the increasingly mashed up world of video entertainment and bandwidth. So let's just start there. Let's start with what appears to be the story of the day, which is Dish Network is in talk uh, in talks to merge with T-Mobile. So you've got the number two satellite TV provider and the number four wireless carrier. Both stocks up around 5% this morning on this news. So investors writ large seem to like this deal. Do you like this? Uh, I, I think it's fine. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, it's probably continuation of the current uh, land grab in a world uh, where uh, people are kind of shunning the old line cable subscriptions and people are you know jockeying for position on on how they can offer different services streaming services spectrum uh, as well as I think it looks a little bit uh, looks a little bit like it's a uh, you know, keeping up with the Joneses kind of move because I believe it's uh, uh, you know Directv and AT and T, of course, is T-Mobile's rival. Uh, they're they're getting married, and uh, so it's kind of uh, you know uh, these guys have got to kind of keep up uh, to offer the same kind of uh, diversity of services, shall we say? Uh, and then, of course, as well, uh, Charter Communications. Uh, I believe it was last week. Uh, they're they're going after Time Warner, so it's uh, it really is a bit of a land grab as kind of uh, people uh, I think are moving around to see what they can what, what what's the world going to look like going forward uh, in a world where where we are more interested in bandwidth and less uh, on the, uh, less on kind of the old line cable providers, shall we say? Well, and. We've talked about this before. This is this is yet another situation where even if you like the deal on paper, even if you look at two companies, regardless of industry, and say, gosh, this, this makes a lot of sense, we are still, at the end of the day, talking about the merging of two companies worth tens of billions of dollars each. And merging them is not something that happens either quickly or simply. I mean, this Absolutely is not. if this deal gets approved, and that's that's still up for grabs whether or not that happens. But if it gets approved, we're still. I mean, Jim, aren't we still at least a year away from knowing if this new marriage be, is beginning to work? Yes, at least a year. I, I think, and of course, you know, as you said, it's it's no guarantee it even goes through. I mean, uh, last year, uh, the the majority shareholder, I believe, was Deutsche Telekom uh, of uh, of T Mobile. And of course, they tried to go. Uh, they tried to uh, merger them with Sprint last year, but that uh, that was perceived there was going to be some um, some regulatory hurdles. This, this one might be better because it is, or this one has a better chance of going through because it is. Uh, it's not two direct wireless competitors. It's 
you know, the television side and the and wireless side. But yeah, you've got at least a year before this is done. And then you've got to start working through whatever the perceived center, presuming it, I mean, it hasn't even been, it's not even been announced yet, but you know, where the smoke is fire. Um, but you know, you have to work through, you know, the, the air quotes synergies, what's going on with the businesses. Um, yeah, this is no, I, I, I get a little worried about, uh, these types of deals because I, I often think, you know, the only people who are really assured to get, uh, the beautiful payoff is, you know, the, the executives of the company that's being taken over. Um, but that's, uh, uh, that's perhaps a little more cynical than needed, but yeah, no, this is not, this is not going to be a, uh, a home run for, for any investor for a while, I would think. You mentioned Charter Communications and Time Warner Cable. We talked about that last week on Market Foolery, that deal being engineered largely by John Malone and his team at Liberty Media. And if you thought, if anyone thought John Malone, who is 74 years old, was going to kick back and relax a little bit uh, after that deal, uh, you're quite wrong. Because now we have Malone telling the Wall Street Journal that Lionsgate Entertainment which is the studio probably best known recently for being the studio behind the Hunger Games franchise, Mm -hmm. uh, that Lionsgate Entertainment could buy Stars, the TV network. Malone's got 3% of Lionsgate, so he knows uh, what he's talking about here. Same question. Do you think this is a deal that makes sense? I mean, not that he's batting 1,000, but John Malone's track record is, is pretty darn good. Yeah, and he's sticking with what he knows, uh, which are these types of, uh, you know, acquisitions and all in the cable, or mostly in the cable and other content space, I suppose, now we're going into. He also has got a rather large uh, interest in serious satellite radio. It's it's uh, it's not surprising to me that, that Lionsgate is possibly going to be trying to get bigger, to, you know, grow the nice snowball of content. Um, there's also, you know, it's also rumored maybe they would... Uh, uh, you know, they would go after maybe AMC networks, uh, which would be kind of funny because I own shares of a little bit of shares, Lionsgate and AMC personally myself. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, it's the content rush. And again, it plays into this, you know, the, the theme of, uh, the old line cable is probably not where the future is. It is on providing, you know, as everyone cuts their cord and I cut my cord, I don't know, four or five years ago now, I think. Um, and we, you know, in the Netflix world with bandwidth and you're watching on all kinds of different devices, you know, who holds the content kind of holds the keys to the kingdom. And I think uh, you know, Malone and, and, and his ilk are, are recognizing that. And so I think it's, it's probably not a bad deal to go after stars, go after AMC. Um, you know, but it, it, that said, uh, I think Malone has, what, 3%? Three percent. Yeah, he didn't have. He does not have nearly the the control. I say in air quotes uh, that he had uh, with the Charter uh, Time Warner deal. Right, and moreover, it's such a small deal potentially that you know. I mean, he's probably got more change in his couch he'd make from from this deal. So you kind of go, well, you know. But it'd be, but Malone is a deal maker, and he has been a deal maker for his entire career. And so you know, deals big or small, I just think he likes the deal. And, uh, you know, certainly he's made shareholders and a number of uh, entities, uh, long-term shareholders, quite wealthy. So, uh, you know, good for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see the, you know, I can see the consolidation of content and content providers 
uh, over the next few years. And I think that that's uh, only going to continue. Let me get to something, which is one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you today. And that is on yesterday's podcast uh, with Bill Barker and Brian Hinman, uh, we talked, among other things, about the idea of buying shares of a company and part of the thesis being, I think there's a chance this company gets bought out. And both Barker and Hinman essentially just rejected that out of hand as as basically saying, look, that's not a reason that shouldn't be on your list. And while I didn't mention it at the time, I did think of you because I thought, I bet, I bet Jim Gillies is a little bit, just slightly more inclined than Barker or Hinman. Am I right or wrong? Well, I will, I will say it, it pains me anytime I have to agree with Bill Barker. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's, that's number one. Um, you, you and me both. Yeah, well, no kidding. Um, I actually agree with them. I'm probably, if you're, if you're looking for gradations, maybe I'm slightly more interested in potential buyouts uh, I do like to follow, if possible, um, uh, the Warren Buffett principle of, you know, don't shoot fish in a barrel, let the water drain out and shoot them after they stop flopping. Um, so, you know, there are, there are certain filings that you can see on uh, the SEC website that can occasionally act as a precursor to a buyout. And I have purchased those companies in the past, uh, Aiming for buyout, and I will say that those types of filings, it's a, it's a, it's, you'll typically, it's a, you'll see a filing under what's called an 8K uh, and then a subsection 5.02, which is, you know, you really weren't thinking you were going to get into this kind of thing today, Chris. I really wasn't. Uh, yeah, you know, for the, for the numbers and minutia wants out there. Uh, and, and basically what ha- that has to do with, if you see a company changing its change of control provisions, that's the type of filing that will go in there and... If you see that, especially when they're changing the change of control provisions, if it kind of looks like it's sweeping the pot for executives who might leave uh, following a change of control, uh, that you know, you've got a decent hit rate that that might be um, what's going on. A number of years ago, I, I made a little bit of money in a company called Navtech, uh, which is a map provider. It's now owned by Nokia, and it was bought out around there. I've also seen it in the past. Uh, Luxottica, when they bought out Oakley, uh, there was a tell about three or four weeks earlier when they redid that. But, you know, in, in, in my experience, I can also tell you that I've seen a number of occasions, one of which is an active recommendation in special ops, by the way, where this type of filing, you know, you think it's a tell, but the company is still publicly traded them a year and a half after, you know, the supposed tell. So it, it's not a guarantee. But, you know, I'm going to fall back and say I kind of agree with, uh, with Barker and with uh, Brian uh, simply because, you know, there's so much uncertainty and unknowables that, uh, you know, y- you might buy it for the potential of a buyout, but there's no guarantee it's going to get bought out as that company that's an active recommendation of special ops should should show you. And in that case, it's an activist who owns about 10% of the shares who basically got, uh, you know, the CEO and board, he got control of this, you know, the board, got the old CEO kicked out, dropped his hand-picked guy in, changed the control provisions, and a year and a half later, the company's still standing standalone. So, you know, it's, it's you buy, buy your companies for other reasons, and if you have that kind of optionality there as well and it gets bought out, uh, that, that can be a good thing. And, and so, you know, if you wanted to play the, the Lionsgate Entertainment kind of uh, arena alongside Malone, uh, you know, maybe Stars, 
is, is one that goes away. Maybe you buy some AMC. And, and again, you, you just, you buy them as a package because, you know, you'd be playing kind of the consolidation of the content providers and maybe you look for, you know, some other players in the same space as well who could be rolled up. But, you know, don't put any kind of, you know, knowledge premium or anything on it happening because it's likely nothing's going to happen and you won't see, you won't see it coming until it, something actually does happen. It'll probably be completely different to what you're expecting anyway. Uh, a moment ago, you mentioned Warren Buffett and someone who every once in a while gets mentioned as uh, sort of running a Buffett or attempting to run a Buffett-style business, a Berkshire-style business, is uh, Sardar Big Lari. Uh, news this morning that uh, Lion Fund made a tender offer for up to 575,000 shares of Big Lari Holdings, uh, ticker symbol BH. Uh, and that stock goes from uh, well, the tender offer was at four twenty a share. Earlier in the week, the stock's trading at three fifty a share. This morning, it's at four ten. What do you make of all this? Uh, yeah, I, I've got a long history. Uh, I've owned Big Larry Holdings stock for a long time. Because um, he's known as he's, formerly known as Steak and Shake. <laughs> um, well, one of his entities is running Lion Fund, right? Yeah. So, so we need to. Uh, I'll. I'll I will I will start with a quip and then move on to the, the the details here. First of all, you know, yeah, Sardar as compared to the next Warren Buffett, uh, he broke the hearts of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of value investors because they thought they'd found the next Warren Buffett. You know, a guy who basically would work for free and you know live in the same house he bought fifty odd years ago. Um, yeah, Sardar's not like that. I've I've kind of for a number of years here. I've been saying you know Sardar's not the next Warren Buffett. He might be the next Carl Icahn. And Carl Icahn is decidedly more, uh, shall we say, sharper edged than uh, than Buffett. Uh, but you know he's got a good track record as well. But you know he he's a little better paid than Buffett. Um, so the the issue with Big Lari, So so stay with me here. So basically, Big Lari Holdings is the entity formerly known as Steak and Shake, the Midwestern Burger and Shake chain. So they 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 own Steak and Shake. And they've all, they, they converted to a holding company a number of years ago because they want to own a series of diverse businesses, kind of like a Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, really, what they own is Steak and Shake. They own Maxim Magazine, which they bought last year, and they're slowly turning it around. That's currently unprofitable. And they own a small insurance company that provides insurance for, for long-haul truckers. And then they have a big bundle of cash. And what they've done is they've made investments in various things. So they own like 20% of Cracker Barrel, for example, which has been an absolute home run and, and Big Lari deserves all the credit in the world for basically buying, you know, 20% of the stock kind of between 40 and 50 bucks. I think the stock's now about 140, 150, and he's just made a fortune in terms of uh, the dividends he's received, what have you. Anyway, all of the investments were parceled over into, as you mentioned, the Lion Fund a number of years ago, or about a year and a half ago. And the managing partner of the Lion Funds is Big Lari Capital, which is 100% owned by Sardar Big Lari. So, you know, you, you start to get your head thing a little bit. But basically, he is tendering to buy Big Lari holding stock into the Lion Fund. And they already own about 19% of the shares of Big Lari Holdings in the Lion Fund, which Sardar Big Lari used to vote for the most recent slate of directors, they just had a, their annual meeting in, in April, and he, they voted for you know the incumbent directors of Big Lari Holdings because 
there was a small gnat of a hedge fund that ran a proxy contest against Big Larry to try to wrest control from him. And so I mentioned they already had about 19% of the shares, and then Big Larry owned some himself, and some of the other management and directors owned some as well. And they, of course, voted for that. Uh, he, he won the proxy contest, but this little gnat of a of a hedge fund it's called the Groveland Capital. They own, they put a million dollars into the in the, in the stock basically. Um, he did far more damage than he probably should have been for the size. Yeah, but but it was, the outcome was never in doubt because you know again the glory owned you know owned over twenty percent of the shares uh, through one entity or another. And so what has happened? This tender offer. What I think happened is you know the success that Groveland had because they were saying, you know, they haven't performed well, Big Larry's been overly compensated for what he's done. And, you know, there, there are arguments on both sides, frankly. But, you know, I think what that did is probably inspire other people to maybe look at taking a run, more well-heeled people to take a run at Big Larry next year and run a more impressive slate of directors next year. And, you know, uh, you know, wound, you know, egotistically wounded value investors would, you know, flock to, you know, their savior or whatever coming on the other side. Uh, what this tender offer does is pretty much, if it is fully subscribed, uh, it'll pretty put, it, it'll pretty much put a nail in any future, um, future proxy contest because it, if it is fully subscribed, uh, Big Lari will control somewhere between 45 and 50% of the outstanding shares at that point, which, you know, at that point, you're kind of done. Um, so it, it, it remains to be seen what will happen after uh, this tender offer goes through, if it will be fully subscribed or how, how fully subscribed it will be. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the stock sell back down into the mid-300s once the tender offer is done. But it's uh, it's certainly an interesting day for for you know for long term big Larry followers like myself. How do you feel about him in the wake of all of this? Because uh, on the one hand, he's not doing anything illegal, and I, I, certainly if you believe in someone leading a company that you own shares of, you want them to have control. On the other hand, the way you just laid this whole thing out, it just sounds kind of. Uh, to to use a word that I believe was invented in this room years ago, it all strikes me as kind of slegal. It's it, it's <laughs> it's slimy but legal. Like he's not doing anything illegal, but it's just sort of like he's using one entity to buy shares of another entity just so he can consolidate control, and that's fine. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, if the message wasn't already loud and clear to investors, it should be now that if you're interested in Big Lari Holdings. It is all about this one man. Yes. Uh, my, my feelings about Big Larry are, I think, somewhat more nuanced, or perhaps I flatter myself. Um, I've met him a number of times. Uh, I had a four-hour dinner conversation with him back in 2007. Bill Mann and I flew out to San Antonio to meet with him and Philip Cooley, and to me personally, and we've had several phone conversations over the years as well. To me personally, he's never been anything but, you know, all about the business, focused on creating value for shareholders. He's actually been, you know, I, I, I could play a number of statements he's made to me, and that number, you know, I've never gotten anything in direct conversations from him that is not in the service of shareholders creating value 
emulating Buffett to the extent that Buffett kind of showed the way, but he's always shot away from the, the direct Buffett comparisons. So uh, as Sardar, the individual, I've always actually, you know, had, a, frankly, a good, uh, a good opinion of the guy. And, and moreover, I could, I could introduce you to a couple of, uh, and, and then the knock against him has been, you know, that, you know, he kind of moved the goalpost once he kind of got put in place at Steak and Shake as chairman, then later CEO, then, you know, uh, he'd long said, we'll make money alongside you, not off you. And then, you know, very quickly after that, the salary was raised, uh, you know, CEO salary went from, I think, 280000 to 900000 a year. Hard to live on nine hundred thousand a year, I know. So then they brought in a, a, a compensation incentive compensation agreement that could pay him up to ten million dollars a year there, uh, which was incremental. Then by moving over most of the funds over to the Lion Fund, where he also gets compensated, there's no ten million dollar cap over there. So if the investments in the Lion Fund, which are of course by Biglari Holdings, administered by Biglari Capital, overseen by Sardar Biglari, those do well. There's no cap on that incentive. And so, you know, investors have a point, frankly, uh, that, you know, he has somewhat moved the goalposts. Um, of course, I would respond with if the investments that he makes don't pay off, he won't get the compensation because it is a performance thing. So, yeah, like last year he did get well paid, but, you know, this year is certainly shaping up. He's not getting well paid. Um, so I, I, I kind of can see both sides. Uh, I, I like the term legal. I've not heard that one before. <laughs> um, I think that, as you said, if you weren't sure that Big Laurie was... Uh, Big Laurie, by doing this, I think will cement control. And that is what he has always advocated that he wants, is they want control because he does envision himself as building something to last multi-decades, you know, he, he is all in here. The question I have, and as a shareholder, I'm not a disinterested party. The question I have is what will, let, let's say this is fully subscribed and he does get somewhere between 45 and 50% ownership or control. What will it look like going forward? It will Big Larry Holdings, uh, you know, will there be, um, even greater compensation to, to even further move the goalpost to, to tilt it in favor of Sardar? Will the existing programs remain? Um, will over time some of the programs roll off? There's a licensing deal where he licenses the name Big Laurie to the company if he's ever ousted, you know, for the, for the princely sum of, I believe, 2.5% of revenues uh, annually for something like five years. Uh, that. You know, if he was ousted, that could have been a hundred million dollar payday for him, which was another reason why I thought the guys who were chasing him were kind of being silly. Um, you know, Sardar has been overly compensated. Hey, let's win and hand him a hundred million. Um, but you know, I think the, uh, I'll be interested to see what happens after, after this thing goes through. If it is fully subscribed, if people do hand him that level of control, what he does with that control. Uh, we don't mind uh, control in certain areas. Uh, certainly Buffett owns, what, 37% of the Berkshire shares. Um, we don't, in other areas, we don't mind. Uh, there there are a couple of CEOs of foolish favorite companies I could point you to um, who have been very richly compensated by their companies uh, that don't have near the control that Sardar has over the large holdings that, uh, you know, that they are universally praised even though they've taken, you know, similarly sized chunks out of the company. And 
the difference is, I think, that their stock has responded versus uh, the Glory Holding stock, which has kind of had a good initial run in 2008, 2009, but it's kind of sat there for the last few years. So. Well, it's, it's, it, <coughs> it, it's like they say in sports, you know, w- winning cures everything, and, mm-hmm. uh, and in the stock market, a rising stock uh, cures most things. Uh, oh, yeah. If the Glory uh, Holdings is a $700 stock today. Uh, that proxy contest last year never would have happened, and this tender offer doesn't happen. So. Uh, a couple of things before we get to your newest set of responsibilities. Speaking of sports, uh, the home team, Washington Nationals, uh, just got drummed by your Toronto Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Uh, three and a half. I know it's early. We're not quite at the halfway point of the season, but the Blue Jays looking pretty good. Just three and a half games out of the wild card. How are you feeling? Uh, you know, I was I was there in 92 and 93 when they had the back-to-back World Series teams. It was fantastic. You couldn't buy a seat uh, at the Sky Dome. Oh, sorry, Rogers Center. <laughs> and i uh, got to have those naming rights. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's sub- since then, they've done their best Toronto Maple Leafs impression, which is to say, you know, continuous disappointment and revolving cast of characters. I, I'd like to believe the past two decades have drummed most of that out of me. Uh, come come see me in August or September. Uh, this time last year, I believe they were up about four or five games. Forget forget the wild card. They were leading the division last year by about four or five games at this point in time, and they finished, I, I believe, in fourth place last year in the five team division. So, um, you know, come come see me at the end of August, and we'll see we'll see where we are. Certainly, American League East is not going to do well this year. Eighty five wins might buy you the title, but uh, I still, you know, you got to show me. Tomorrow, Friday, June fifth, is National Donut Day here in the United States. Is it also uh, is it also National Donut Day in Canada? Uh, every day is National Donut Day in Canada. <laughs> There's enough Tim Hortons up here. To, um, if it is, I haven't seen anything formal, but you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll grab a, a Canadian maple donut to celebrate. Use it as an excuse to treat yourself. <laughs> there you go. Um, so Taylor Muckerman mentioned this the other day on Market Foolery. Uh, you've launched and you are you are heading up a brand new service. Motley Fool Pro Canada, and I wanted to just get a, a few thoughts from you on this. Uh, as I understand it, you're going to be running a real money portfolio with a quarter million dollars, and of course, because it's you, there are options involved here. Um, you got to be excited about this. I'm very excited about it. It's kind of uh, uh, we're kind of piggybacking on the on the success that uh, Jeff Fisher had in the U.S. with uh, launching uh, the original Pro Pro Classic, I'll call it, and uh, that uh, Uncle Joe Mager he's uh, gone down to Australia. They launched Pro Australia. We're we're hoping to piggyback on on their success. It's uh, it is. It's it's it, it's fun actually. I think it'll be it'll be pretty great. We're looking for uh, you know your classic compounding great businesses that we can own for the long term. Uh, some value plays. We're going to do some special situation jockey plays. Um, I won't I won't lie. Big Larry Holdings was on my short list until about seven o'clock this morning when I checked the news. <laughs> um, and we're going to do some options. Uh, you know we are going to. Uh, options are one of those things that uh, can be very. A lot of people look at them as either horrible. Never look at them. Now you've heard this refrain from me and Jeff before, uh, but you don't want to do them because you'll lose all your money. A lot of people look at them as speculative vehicles. Uh, Jeff and I, in running uh, Motley Fool Options for the past six years, I, I think we've successfully bored thousands of members to profitability because we say, you know, look, they're just tools, and they're tools to enhance your portfolio return. And when you are adding them on the, the periphery and on the borders of owning those 
great long-term classic compounding businesses and, and maybe a few value stocks. Uh, of course, we want to buy the compounding businesses at value prices if we can. Um, you know, they, they are a great tool to enhance your, uh, your investment returns. And in Canada, frankly, there's, there's, I mean, there's very little options talk up here. And uh, we're looking to change that. And we're actually really excited about that. We made our first options recommendation actually yesterday, or the day before, sorry. Uh, so for the portfolio, it's still a very young service. But uh, we are excited to see where we can go with it. Well, and I've, I've said this before. You, you and Jeff Fisher are the two people who, who turned me around on options because – and, and I, I don't blame anyone for, for thinking this way about options. And by this way, I mean negatively because mm-hmm. so much of the talk in the financial media about options, it's always accompanied by the word trading. Options trading, you yeah. know, hate, people are introduced as options yeah. traders, and it's the whole sense of urgency and mm-hmm. and you you, you got to be locked to your computer and it's frenetic and you know there are all these charts involved. Um, and you were one of the people who just said, no, 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 it's it's not options trading, it's options investing. And mm-hmm. as you as you just said, and in some ways it can be a little boring um, because it's it's really a lot of conservative types of investments that you're making done done correctly it should be boring can i tell you a secret sure so if i if i do an options transaction or an options trade even though i hate the word so i'll i'll do an options transaction I'll, i will sell an option I'll buy an option guess how many times i look at the price after i do that uh, i'm gonna guess zero. <laughs> zero. i i never look at options prices after i've done my strategy and set it up. There's no point. I don't need to hover over the over the computer. The 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 transaction we did, the recommendation we made in Pro Canada this week, uh, the option carries an expiration of October 2015, third Friday in October. Um, I'll watch the underlying stock. I'll know all I need to know from looking at the price of the underlying stock. We will probably next consider what to do with this option, whether to let the underlying stock get taken from us or to actually do something with it, or if we'll even need it some with it, we'll probably look at that October 10th. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to do nothing for this four months. Um, and, and I like to do nothing <laughs> on that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're set, good. We can focus on other things. Uh, we can focus on other investment opportunities. Like I said, I crossed the glory off the list, I suppose, for a while. Um, but it's 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 uh, it's a, it really is. It's just a great tool, and I, I think the, one of the things that uh, always makes people blink, you know, when when you hear people say, "Oh, you know, options they're risky," um, you know, Peter Lynch famously uh, wrote in, I believe it was one up on Wall Street, you know, don't use options. You know, eighty five, ninety percent of them, or whatever. You know, eighty five or ninety percent of them go to zero. You know. And, and I've always said, well, okay, let's, let's assume that's true. It's not, but let's assume it's true. Um, if, if I sold you the option, don't I want it to go to zero? Because I get to keep all your money. And, you know, it's it just a, a, a lack of acknowledgement that there are two sides to a transaction. And if you're, more often, if you're more often a seller of an option than a buyer of an option, you can do very well. And that's one of the principles that we've... Uh, had from inception in multi-fuel options is that we are more often sellers of options and buyers, and it's one of the principles behind the options use in multi-fuel pro Canada. So, for more details on multi-fuel pro Canada, you can just go to pro.fool.ca. That's pro. 
www.fool.ca. Again, it's a real money portfolio that uh, Jim and his team have just launched with a quarter million dollars behind it. And uh, and check it out, because this is um, we have a bunch of services at The Motley Fool that are uh, sort of always open. You can subscribe at any time. Uh, this is one of those services that's just open for a limited time. And in fact, I believe it's the only time in 2015 it's going to be it's going to be open. So uh, so check it out, pro.fool.ca. Thank you, my friend. Always fun to talk to you. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.